But I felt like God put on my heart to speak a very specific, timely message today, which started two months ago, that has nobody in this room in mind, that has no circumstance in this room in, the, in mind, but came out of my conversation with one of the board members and uh, was a beautiful moment. But before we start that, I want to have some fun. And because uh, if you can't have fun, it's not worth doing. So check this out. I'd like for us to do a short, brief game show. It's always been my desire to be a game show host. And so I want you to say this with me. What's up with the cup? Ready? One, two, three. What's up with the cup? Take it away. No? Here we go. All right, we got game show music. We're trying. So here's what I need. I need two victims, I mean two volunteers, that are willing to do this. All right, I see that hand. Uh, I see that hand. You come forward here. And then, uh, uh, sir, all right, we'll take you in the suit. You got it. It's male chauvinist day. We're just picking men today. By the way, next uh, couple of weeks, the ladies' retreat is happening, and nobody will let me go to that for some reason. So don't talk to me about chauvinism. I can't get in the women's retreat. But there are still some spaces. I think hotel rooms are opening up. But if you'd stand in back of that one, and sir, you'd stand in back of that one. Hey, I met you last week. Your name again? William. William, and yours? Kenny. Kenny, good to meet you guys, man. All right, could you give a round of applause one more time for these handsome, studly men? And today we are going to play, say it with me, what's up with the cup? Okay, so in front of you gentlemen are uh, four cups, and I'm going to get a uh, microphone from over here. And in those four cups are four different things. And, and I want you to, as you take a sip, just a small sip, I want you to say with your expression and your body language, um, what it tastes like, and then describe the experience just literally in a couple of words. So we're going to go like we read from left to right. And so we're going to start with the far left cup. Wave your left hand, gentlemen. Hold up your left hand. That's it. Just helping you get dialed in. And if you grab it, go right ahead. Take a sip. Show everybody. Show everybody. What? What? What's up? What's up with the cup? Tell them. That was terrible. What did it taste like? What is it? Lemon juice. You are absolutely right. Cup number one is pure lemon extract. Thank you so much. William, how about you? What you got going on in that there? That was um, water. It's just water. Isn't that nice? All right. Let's go up to cup number two. Are you ready? Say with me one more time. What's up with the cup? All right. Take it. Test it. Here we go. William's worried here. No? Yeah? Go ahead. Try it. Just take that sip. What's, what's up with the cup? That was salt water. That was horrible, too. Salt water, huh? What is that? How about you? What do you think? What do you think? That was water. That was just water. Oh, OK. All right, cool. All right, here we go. One more time. Say it with me. What's up with the cup? Take that sip, gentlemen. Third cup. Here we go. Man, what's going on here? What do you got? You're treating me horrible. That was apple cider <laughs> vinegar. That's apple cider vinegar. Oh my goodness, William, what did you get? What did you get? That was um, water with a little bit of sugar. It was, it was. Isn't that great? This is awesome. Okay, last one, last scream. Shout it with me. What's up with the cup? Last sip. It's got to be the worst yet, huh? I have no idea what that was, but that was the worst of all. <laughs> What about you, William? What do you have going on in there? Unfortunately, that was my favorite, Gatorade Blue. Gatorade Blue. I don't know what it is, but I favored the right side here today. 
Here goes a bottle of water. Well, in fact, what he drank was dead sea salt water, 10 times saltier than the ocean, the most horrible tasting water in the face of the earth. Thank you, gentlemen, for participating here. We'll see you next time. Say it with me. What's up with the cup? Oh, my goodness. I'm out of control. I'm handicapped by a natural immaturity. And you're all along for the ride. If you boil off this much Dead Sea water, it leaves that much mineral. It's so disgusting. And uh, nothing can leave, live in it. No bacteria, no virus, no nothing. Uh, so the daring in heart, if you have a clean finger and you want to dip it in there and taste it, I dare you. It is disgusting. It is so bitter. And that's what I want to talk with you today about is bitter waters, bitterness, bitterness. And what I want to share with you is really specifically how God can help us go from bitter to better. How many of you could use some sweetness in your life? God wants to do that. I see the double hand. Somebody wants that double portion. I want... And he wants to. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus 15, 22 to 27. I'm going to read out of the ESV. Uh, the original inspired version is Hebrew, but since you won't understand that, I'm not going to read it. But if you listen along, you could follow along in whatever version you favor. But the books in front of you are the ESV translation. And that's what I'm going to read to you here this morning. Exodus 15, 22 to 27. Then Moses set out from the Red Sea and went into the wilderness of Shur. Where did he set out from? Where? Mark that in your mind. That's important information. They went three days in the wilderness. How many days in the wilderness? Three days in the wilderness and found no water. How long can you go without food before you die? Forty days. How long can you go without water before you die? Three days. If you have no water in three days, you're dead. Some of you are like, I need a hydration habit in my life. Well, he goes on and he says this, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Uh, and so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he, he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log and threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to my voice, to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. Everybody knows this is the name of God, Jehovah Rapha. Isn't it interesting? The healing name of God comes from the diseases that he brought on the Egyptians. Now, some people out there preach that if you're sick and you're not healed, it's because there's sin in your life or you don't have enough faith. Um, I got, um, what's that? I'm about to die. <laughs> Sorry. That was for you guys on the front row. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's really impulsive. All right. 
In the wilderness, in Israel, I know this part of the world, like you know Merrimack Valley, like you know Lawrence Lowell, I know this area like that, and in this area, there are oases in the desert. And every once in a while, there'll be these springs that will pop up through the ground and provide water, but as they sit there for long periods of time, they evaporate and they've left behind more mineral than they have water in them, and they end up being absolutely disgusting. And this is actually the place that this event took place at in the Sinai Peninsula. They're bitter waters of mineral deposits, and it's just absolutely disgusting. Like, do you want to say what's up with the cup? Take a drink of that. Good luck. No, thank you. It's absolutely gross. That's, this is a different place, but just to give you the idea of how this happens. In fact, the Dead Sea is the salt, 10 times saltier than the ocean because all it does is take in. It never gives out. Now, the Sea of Galilee has a river flowing into it and a river flowing out of it. I think that's a really great demonstration of how God engineered our faith and life and walk to be, is it's not just about getting from God, it's about giving through you, God giving through you to other people, being involved in ministry, being involved in generosity, being involved in those things. That's how you keep a life pure, but the sure way to make your life bitter is to take in and in and in and in and in and in and sit and sit and sit. And that place is so nasty, I literally can pick up rocks chunks of salt in the Dead Sea. It's absolutely disgusting. You don't want to drink it. It's bitter. In fact, that's what the word Mara means. They named the place Mara. They came to Mara. They named it Mara. They said because the waters are bitter, and it's really that simple. It's bitter waters. They're undrinkable. In fact, usually when the Bible uses this word, it's talking about salt water, because you can drink a glass of water and be refreshed, but you could drink gallons and gallons of salt water and you'll die from thirst because it's not designed to sustain your life. And the thing about thirstiness is that thirsty people and animals will drink anything they can find if they're desperate. And oh my goodness, the things that I've taken into my life that I look back and I'm like, God, you were preparing a cup for me that overflows and I was partaking of that garbage. And the bigger lesson to this is, is more than just don't drink the water. The bigger lesson to this is how to go from bitterness to betterness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 reads like this. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire as they did, desire evil as they did. There, there, there's a verse in the New Testament where it talks about all the events in the wilderness were there so that we could learn how to take heart and do what's right. But this verse is also here to show us how those examples are there so we can mark, mark in our minds how not to do some things. I don't have to learn from somebody else's success to be successful. I can totally learn from your mistake. You ever do that where you watch somebody step out or step up and you're like, oh yeah, I don't want to be that person, right? I heard someone go, yep. I read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I look at Peter's life, and I'm like, oh, Lord, please help me not to be that guy. But unfortunately, we're human, and in this life, there's a place that's perfect. It's called heaven, but until then, we're in this place called earth, and we make mistakes. We make poor choices. We journey down wrong paths. And God's not sitting in heaven looking to point his finger in your face and saying, you make me sick, I'm so disappointed in you, you're gone, I'm done with you. That's how some of our earthly fathers behave, but that's not how your heavenly father is. Your heavenly father looks at you and he says, let's find a way to get out of this place. 
how do we turn this bitter into better? See, because we too are passing through the Red Sea, through the desert, across the Jordan, and the destination is promises that God has for us, promised land that we're headed to. And Israel, like them, we fall into doubt and unbelief, and sometimes through punishment and repentance and experience again, God helps us see that he's faithful and he's trying to redirect our life if we listen to him, if we look, and if we follow him, he'll take us out of those places that we took detours in that made us bitter instead of better. Going through the wilderness was, ne- listen to this, those of you that are mature, long-standing Christians, going through the wilderness was not necessary for Israel's salvation, but it was definitely necessary for their sanctification. Think about that. Let me say it to you in common language. Their bad experience wasn't the thing that got them close to God and fixed and saved and right, but it was the thing that God used to show them things he needed to get out of their life. Sourness, bitterness. He used this situation to expose not just bitter waters, but bitter people. And so the question here is, our journey through life's wilderness, it's about our destination in Jesus. But until then, this life is a wilderness, and we need to follow God, we need to trust him, we need to be patient, we need to listen to him, we need to talk to him, we need to hear him through his word, we need to surround our life with people that are looking at it saying, hey, and can I tell you something? If you're saying one thing and everybody around you is saying something else, it means it's time for you to stop, drop, and listen. Because you might be bitter. And God wants to make you better. So the question here is this. What are the things that make sweet lives sour? Sweet lives sour. Let me personalize this. What are the things that can make my life move from being sweet to sour? See, because as I share this message with you today, I'm processing my own bitter experiences. I'm processing my own bitterness I'm, pressing, I'm processing my own disappointments and discouragements and betrayals and all of those things that happen in life. But it's life. You just got to deal with it. And I don't want to die by a salty pond. I want to get into promise that God has for me. And so what I need to do is begin to look at what God's word's trying to tell me on how to get out of this place. How do I go from sour to sweet but In order for me to do that, I need to recognize what are the things that have made my life sour. So I preach this at me as much as I share this with you. I think the first thing that makes a sweet life sour is this, is turning a reason to complain into a right to complain. Let me show you in the verse here. Exodus 15, 22 and what we just read. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. How many days can you go without food? How many days can you go without water? How many days were they in the wilderness? See, if you stop and pause and reflect on that, you realize they're about to die. They're about to die. Well, I thought if I'm a Christian, I'm going from blessing to blessing to blessing. Yup, but there's a place that is nonstop blessing. It's called heaven, but this, this is earth. And it's a wilderness. And so God is also concerned not only about making your life comfortable, but he also wants to make your life holy. And so what he will do is allow situations to take place, not that he's the author of those things, but he lets things happen so that he can highlight what's going on inside of us. You know, difficult situations don't make you who you are. 
They show who you are. That's what God was doing with this. And here what they did is, is they turned a reason to complain into a right. I would say to you this, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're on the journey, whether you're a week or decades, you may have a reason to complain, but you do not have a right. Think about this. God just set them free from Egypt. God just delivered them with 10 plagues. He opened up the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground. Hear that, dry ground. And then they looked over their shoulder at the mightiest army in the world that was an empire and a superpower for 3,000 years. We haven't even hit 300. Egypt was a superpower for 3,000 years at that time. And they look over and God swallows up the most powerful army that ever walked the face of the earth in the snap of a finger. And then they walk three days down the road and they don't have water and they're whining. God often reminds me when my sweet is going to sour that I examine myself and I realize, oh Paul, you have a reason to complain, but you think that you actually have a right to. See, God is so good to us. God is so good to us. And bitterness settles in our soul when you give yourself the right to complain. Complaints are lodged against things for two reasons. Either something or someone has violated your personal preferences or something or someone has violated your personal comforts. But notice what I just said. It all has to do with you. And that's never what the Christian walk was about. It's about him. And so when they go into this experience, they start getting bitter and their complaints are lodged and they're, they, they're forgetting another thing here. They're forgetting their past deliverances. And that's another reason why we turn sweet lives into sour ones. First of all, we turn a right to complain, a reason to complain into a right to complain. Man, they had no reason to, com- they had no right to complain because the God that set them free from Egypt, that parted the sea, that, that delivered them from the most powerful army, man, he can totally do it. Now, it was a desperate situation, but they, they lost trust in God so quickly. And I lose trust in God so quickly sometimes. But the, another reason we get into this place, you might be bitter. You might be bitter if you have turned a reason to complain into a right to. But you may be bitter, you may be sour because you have forgotten the deliverances of God. You're forgetting past deliverances from the Lord. After the first great victory, there always comes a test. Always. And when I say, you know, there are moments in my life where I've said, oh God, I will never forget this. There are moments where God has been incredibly gracious to me and I say, I'll never forget. I'll never, I'm always going to do this. I'll never do that. Lord, I'm never going to lose this moment. But you know what? Being in this world and being in the environment that we're in, it's hard, it's difficult. Things hit us and how quickly I forget. I get what I call spiritual amnesia. And just like them, we could look at them and criticize them and say, man, the Lord just parted the Red Sea. God brought you out of that abusive situation. God brought you out of that bondage, out of that that oppression. How could you forget what God did? Well, we do it all the time. I do it all the time. How quickly I forget. Psalm 106, 21 says this, they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt. And I put myself in there to say, man, when I find myself getting bitter, when I find myself feeling trapped, how I forget God, the God who did great things for me in Egypt. They grumbled, the plagues, 
They grumbled the parting of the sea. And listen to this. I want you to catch this. When you grumble over problems rather than dwell on your deliverances, you grow bitter over everything. Let me say that one more time. When you grumble over problems rather than dwelling on deliverances, you grow bitter, you grow bitter over everything. Catching this? Now, hang with me. Because God's purpose of this message this morning is not to point out how filthy you are, how bitter you are, how wrong you are. God's going to bring us out of this into a sweet place if you just hang with me. But I need to identify the things that make my sweet life sour, or I, I will continue to repeat the cycle over and over again. I need to make sure that I don't turn a reason to complain into a right to. I need to make sure that I don't forget past deliverances from the Lord. In fact, this is biblical. Look at God's, God has memory stones, right? Memory stones. One of the, I, how many of you remember in the 70s when they were selling pet rocks? I wish I could reboot that. Imagine putting a rock in a box and selling it to people. Like, I'd have an endless supply. Um, somebody got rich off of selling people rocks. It was something they did before video games and before internet and all that stuff. I, people are like, look at you on my pet rock. It's like, that's just, I look at that and I'm like, oh my goodness. The things we do. But God had memory stones. When he, parted the Red, when he parted the Red Sea, the Israelites came through. But when they go into the promised land, he parts the Jordan and he tells them, every tribal leader, grab one stone. And so 12 of them come on the other side. He says, pile the stones here. And he says this, these are going to be a reminder, a memorial for you to remember your deliverances. And in Joshua, 21, uh, Joshua 4, 21 and 22, it says this, when your children ask you, what are these stones about? You shall... Let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. Those of you that are parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, can I tell you something? If you give yourself a right to complain over a reason, and if you do not repeat the, the deliverances of God in your life, you will create sour children all around you. God tells the Jewish people over and over again, point to the stones, this is what God did. Point to that, this is what God did. Every Sabbath, show them what it is to be generous. Every year, celebrate this festival. And it's something that we desperately need to grab onto in Christianity, faithfulness, consistency, reminders that God delivered you. How many of you have been delivered from something great and grievous and God set you free and he parted the sea and he brought you through? Don't ever forget that. That's your God. And you might be in church for the first time and you're like, I don't know how to break free from this relationship, from this drug habit, from this negative depression. I don't know how to break free from it. You know what? You don't know how, but there's a God in heaven that parts Red Seas and sets people free and delivers them. And today's a day that you could experience that. But we are called to remember and recount to our children and our children's children these things. I kind of trapped my son Andrew yesterday. Um, we, we were talking about God and creation, and then all of a sudden I led him to this verse, and he started reading it. And he's like, Dad, did you read this here because you're trying to tell me something? I was like, yeah. He goes, but God does that with us, doesn't he? Here's the thing. In the Jewish tradition of Passover, one of the things they do is they take bitter herbs and they dip them in salt water and they take a bite. Who wants to do that any more than you want to drink that stuff again? Come on. No, I'm just kidding. But like who wants to do that? No, but they do that because they want to remember that Egypt was bitter slavery and it was the place of their tears. How quickly you forget and I forget how bitter 
the bondage was in our life. How many tears we cried without hope. How many of you are new in Jesus? Don't forget where you came from. I, there's one thing in my life. I always say to the Lord, God, don't let me forget where I came from. Don't let me forget how low I was. Don't, forget me, don't let me forget how vile and perverse and, and hooked and destructive I was. Don't let me forget who I was. Because when I go back to my deliverances and I recount that, I not only encourage myself to a sweet place, but I develop sweet people around me that are like, if God did that for him, he can do it for me. And if God did this for me here in my life, when you recall the deliverances of God, you begin to gain courage and hope in the circumstances you're in and say, if God did it for me there, he can do it for me again. It says in Exodus 13, 14, and when the time comes, your sons will ask, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand of the Lord, he brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Every time they dip it, once a year, Easter time, bitter herbs, tears. Don't forget how bitter and how tearful those, that bondage is. You got to remember your deliverances. If you don't, you'll become bitter. You'll become discouraged with not getting the victories you think God wants for your life. And you, you, the, not, people not treating you the way they think you think they should treat you. People not doing for you what you think they should do for you. And the whole time God's like, hey man, like I'm leading you. I'm providing for you. Stop looking to other people and have a real relationship with me. Do you trust me? It's like the Lord's sitting there saying, hello, I'm right here. Oh man, I can't believe this person did this. And said, the Lord's like, hello, my spirit's right here. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. Don't do that. James says it like this, can salt water and fresh water come out of the same fountain? No, my brothers. Neither can blessings and curses come from the same mouth. You don't only know them by their fruit, you know them by their fountain. And salt water will kill you. And as I was preparing this message, I felt like God dropped something very specific in my heart. And I repeat it the same way I did in first service, because I never know who it's for. And I never know if God's speaking to multiple people. But I felt, as I was getting ready for this, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart that there are some of you here, you are right at this place right now called Mara. Everything in your life is bitter. Your joy is gone. The things that you used to do that brought joy to your relationship with Jesus no longer satisfy you. And you're in the middle of a bitter wilderness trial. Listen, God doesn't want you to give up. He's, listen, this is from the heart of God. Hold on. Be faithful. Because, right, what did we talk about last week? The just shall live by what? Faith? Believing? No. The just live by faithfulness. When you can't see God's hand, you trust his heart. And you listen to his decrees. And you get into his word. And you talk to him. The Bible says this. Everything in prayer. Now think about in as a room. As you're going through your day, God wants you to be that person that not only starts the day in prayer, you go into that place and you pray, but as you're in the middle of a day, a day and your boss is out of their mind and your kid's out of their mind, you know what? That's the moment where you just, you don't physically move, but you shut your heart and you step back and you step in and you say, Lord, you see exactly what's going on here. And I, I know that there's a path through this. There's a way out of this. You just need to lead me. I want you to know I'm looking for it. I'm asking you for your help. And then you just walk back into the situation. Your boss is going, blah, 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 blah. like, okay, yep, okay. All right, good, good, good. And then all of a sudden God shows you and you get out of that situation, and rather than you being bitter, you become better through it. 
See, the thing about people is this. They will never be there for you when you need them, and they always will be there for you when you don't. You ever have that moment with a friend? I just want you to know I love you. I will always be there for you. Thick as thieves. And then you're like, yo, what's up? Where were you when that happened? You know? Not God. The Bible says that he has given us his Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one that is called right next to us. That's what it literally means in Greek. He's right next to you, walking with you. And sometimes we just kind of compartmentalize God in church on Sunday only, or maybe church and, and morning prayer, and we go out through our day, and the whole time the Lord is saying, listen, I want to go with you. I want to walk with you. I want to help you. I want to give you wisdom. I want to give you encouragement. I want to give you strength. I want to keep you sweet. Let me walk with you. Trust me. But when you grumble more over your problems rather than dwelling on your deliverances, just like me, you probably become bitter. It's so hard. You got to remember your deliverances. Here's another thing is that a way that you'll turn a sweet life sour, a grumbling and complaining lifestyle. A grumbling and complaining lifestyle. Look at verse 24. It says this, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, here's the problem. Problem number one. Who are they grumbling against? Moses. Positionally, there are some fights, arguments, and situations that happen with me as a pastor that it wouldn't matter if there was somebody else in this position. It's a positional attack. It's not a personal attack. And that's what happened with Moses. They were going after him because he was in the position of leader and they complained and they grumbled. And God was saying, hey, why are you blaming the leader? And Moses kind of pulls aside. He's like, Lord, I just don't get this. In fact, there's two spots, one spot in Numbers chapter 14, 29, where the Lord says to Moses, let me just tell you what this is really about. This isn't about you, Moses. They've grumbled against me. And then he goes over in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, Samuel says, God, you're king. And they say, no, we want a king like other nations. And they get Saul. Careful what you ask for. You might get it. They get Saul. And he goes into retreat and he's crying and, and he's saying, God, why? Like, and he's taking it personal. And God says, oh, Samuel, they have not rejected you. but They've rejected me from being king over them. You have to be careful that you don't cultivate a life of grumbling and complaining that turns into a lifestyle. Or you may find that you're, you're just attacking everything where really your gripe, really if you were to remove the veil, you'd be like, I thought you were with me. I thought you were going to care for me. You know, I thought you'd bring me beside still waters and restore my soul. If this is what you're about, I don't want anything to do with you. See, there's a perfect place where everything's blessed. It's called heaven. But this isn't heaven. This is a God who is trying to bring us through a wilderness and walk in his presence. Look at how they, the people grumbled against Moses so many times. I put the verses in there for you. But what they were saying is, man, he made a poor judgment. He wasn't listening to God, but I would. If I were Lord over this situation, this would never be happening. Now, understand, I'm not talking to you with situations in the church. Listen, you can, I'm, there are pastors I hear where, you be careful you don't talk against the man of God. God will kill you, you know. It's like, you know what? Not everybody likes me. That's Okay. Not everybody agrees with me. That's okay. Why are you laughing, honey, when I said not everybody likes me? All right. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, listen, I don't believe God wants to kill you because you disagree. There's, there, you can disagree agreeably, but 
when it comes to following the leading of the Lord, like God puts leaders in positions for a reason. And sometimes, you know what, there are situations where if I were to tell you everything, I would violate somebody's dignity. But I won't do that. I'd rather you be upset with me than me to, to violate somebody's dignity. And, and so Moses was trying to like figure out like why God, and God was like, listen, Moses, this has nothing to do with you. In fact, if you look at the children of Israel, uh, you look at this, they grumble, right? That Hebrew word, loon, is literally describes hostile complaining, strong words of discontentment, angry rejection, verbal attacks of dissatisfied people. But the original picture and metaphor of this is a lodge. When I say a lodge, you remember like the Grand Poobah Lodge in the Flintstones? Do you remember a, or have you ever seen a ski lodge? What, what does a lodge do? It opens its door and it welcomes in something to keep it protected, to nurture it, to warm it. How many times I've opened up my heart to things I had no right opening it up to. And here's the crazy thing about bitterness. It's like drinking poison and waiting to watch somebody else die. Look at, look at the lifestyle of grumbling that these people had. What's interesting, I, I remember doing this when I was teaching this class at Bible college, and I just, all of a sudden, one author, uh, Sailhammer, it's called the, narr- the Pentateuch is Narrative. It's a deep book, but it's a good book. But he observes that God gives them the same three tests before he gives them a covenant and the, and the law of God, the word of God, and then he gives them the same three afterwards. And leading up to it, like here at Mara, like the, like the manna and the quail, like the 40 years, all these things, God's saying, hey, listen, you need to trust me. You're going to be in a difficult situation, but you need to follow me. You're going to go through difficult experiences, but I'm not going to abandon you. You need to, you need to just lean into me instead of push, push away from me. You need to allow me to keep you sweet. Don't become sour. But when they got the word of God and they got the covenant, it's like after that, the judgments just flew. And I think the Church of America is in a very dangerous place because we have so much knowledge and we should know better And we look at these people and we say, can you believe it? But if you and I were in that situation, we would probably be just like them. Just being real. We would probably be just like them. Now here's the thing. I told you, hang with me. Because this isn't about God rubbing your face in shame. This isn't about God leaving you in disgrace, telling you how he's disappointed with you and disgusted with you. That's not where the story ends. That's not what this is about. If you only go up to this point of the message, you've missed the whole point. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, Apostle Paul says it like this. He's talking about this experience that we're reading about and the wilderness experience. And he says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Do you know how many people come into a church setting and all they hear is, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Instead of hearing what God is for, he's for you, he's not against you. He's for making you holy. He's for delivering you. He's for so many different things. But then he goes on and he warns them of something that can undo all of that. And he says this in Hebrew, tells them, be careful that no bitter root springs up among you and defiles many. See, holiness I can only get by being in the presence of the Holy One. But bitterness is like a disease and a plague that spreads through. How many of you get the vomit virus yet? Hang tight, it's coming through the school system review of things to come. How many of you got that cold that I got right now? Yeah, probably caught it from you. 
Listen to Paul's, uh, or the author of Hebrews, their words reflecting back on this. And again, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 tells us these things are an example to keep us from, from, to learn from their negative experience. He says this, take care, brothers, lest you be in, there be in you any kind of evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another while it is day, as long as you call it today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me tell you what, bitterness comes in, which turns into beginning to provoke us to sinfulness, which then hardens your heart, and now the chance for you to get pulled out of it is even harder than it was when it started. As it is said, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness. Right now, let me tell you something. If, there, if you're in this room and you have a bitter spirit and you know you do, God says today, today, he says, do not harden your hearts in the wilderness, but today let God help you with that. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? I mean, it's crazy. We look, at, we look back at them, but I play out the same scenario in my life over and over again when I don't allow the sweet presence of Jesus to be there. And as I was preparing, I felt like God put another thing on my heart to share with us as a community is this. Being restored and being whole with God, you, you don't get that sideways. You get that by going directly to the Lord. But I feel like there's some of you here, you're newer in your relationship or maybe you're long-standing in your Christian relationship. But this is your relationship to God. This is your word. This is your prayer. This, what we're doing right now, is all that you have in your life. And I felt like the Lord just really spoke to me. He said, Paul, there's some people whose relationship with Christ is only through what you preach. They don't feed on my word. They don't pray. They don't allow me to walk with them with my spirit. They're not mindful of me. God wants to be with you and help you. You need a personal relationship with Christ. That means that you read and feed on his word. That means that you walk and you talk with him through prayer. I've never seen somebody stay bitter who dedicated themselves to praying consistently. Never. Never. But here's the thing. God wants us to remember our deliverances. He wants us to make sure that we don't turn a reason into a right to complain. He wants to make sure that we're instant in prayer and obedience. Like, what's, what's the remedy here? Because we could talk about all this bitterness, but what's the hinge? How does God change this in our life? How does God, like, I, I hear you, Pastor. I've been there. I'm in a bitter season, or I've been in a bitter season, or it's something that's going on outside of me, and it's something that's going on within me, but I'm in that spot. Thank you very much. How do I get out of this place? Here's, here's what you need to do. First, God's remedy for bitter waters in your life. Number one, you need to be instant in prayer and ongoing obedience to what God tells you. You don't have to know the whole word of God. What you need to do is instantly live out what God tells you as he gives it to you. He's not going to say, hey, what's on page? Uh, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. He's not going to say, what's law number six, 600? I mean, he's not going to do that, but he's going to say, hey, you're going to be in a situation. He's going to say, love your enemies. He's going to say stuff like, love is patient, love is kind, it's not rude. 
All you're required to do is to be instant in prayer and ongoing obedience. God will make it clear for you. And here's the thing. God will give you the answer if you call to him. Moses is sitting there and he's like, what am I to do? And, and he turns in Exodus 15, 25, he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet and the Lord made them a statute and a rule and there he tested them. What's interesting is, is the root word for Torah is found in this. God Torahed Moses. He eroded him. He instructed him. That's what God's word in its essence, when you say Torah, that's what it means. It's God's instruction for your life. It's God's manual for how to navigate everything from sin and bitterness to success and sweetness. And it's all there in that book. All you need to do is to begin to open it and read it and let God feed you with it. And he promises he'll give you an answer. He never brings us into a situation that he doesn't show us a way of escape, ever. And he showed Moses a piece of wood. Literally, he tore it him, he eroded him. He said, there it is, Moses. Take that stick and throw it in. Now, here's the thing, going back and forth to the Middle East, and, and, and like everybody wants to always find a natural remedy for this. If you read books, you know, it's like, well, we know in the Middle East, there's a particular root branch that when you throw it into the water, it absorbs saltiness. And like, that just doesn't make sense to me apart from a supernatural moment and movement of God, where God said, Moses, I almost personally think there was nothing about the stick whatsoever. I think it was God saying, they're not listening. They're not letting you lead. They're not following my spirit. They're not following my lead through you, Moses. But here, I want to make sure I still have you pick up that stick and throw it in. Moses doesn't say, well, I don't know. The stick just doesn't look right. Why do I need to throw a stick in there? Lord, could you please explain to me why that, like, how do I, like, do you ever have that? Do you ever do that to God? Do you ever do that to your parents? Yes, thank you. Lord, God bless your honesty. I don't think there was anything about the stick. He said, pick it up and throw it in. He was just looking for him to obey his word. And that's what he's looking for you and I to do, is obey his word. Listen, Jesus says over and over again, he who has an ear, let him hear. That doesn't mean what you think it does in English. Like, I hope you can hear me if you do. In, in Hebrew, the word here is shema. It means you hear it, you understand it, and you obey it. Just obey the truth that God's given you to this point, And you'll get out of it. So he... How do you, what's the remedy for bitter waters? You, you're instant in prayer and ongoing obedience. Second thing is this, you allow God to use the bitter to make you better. This is going to mess with some of your hearts and heads. But I agree with some of the statements that we've heard recently. God is good, he's just not always safe. And heaven is heaven, this is not heaven where we are. And people will never be there when you need them, and they will always be there for you when you don't need them. That's why David learned to encourage himself in the Lord. That's why we need to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. But you need to allow God to use the bitter to make it better. The word bitter is what they named the place, Mara. But here's the interesting thing is, is the root word is the same word in the Passover where they dip the bitter herb into the salt water. Now, the word that's used here is used definitely for a log, but it has a similarity to the, the bitterness of the herbs. And I know everything that grows in that part of the world, and none of it is sweet, you know? It's not like you're going out and you're like, look at that fruit, if you like pina colada. Mmm, that's so delicious, you know? Or naranjas, you know? Mmm, there, there's none of that. There's like date palms. It's like disgusting and bitter. So most everything that grows there is bitter. And... 
What's interesting is recently, there's a commentary that goes back to the day of Jesus. This is a very, very old commentary called Makiltna de Rabbi Ishmael. How many of you feel your life has just changed by knowing that right now? But listen to what a rabbi in the time of Jesus felt that God was trying to speak through this. I don't know if it's fully gospel, but man, it profoundly struck me. Because I always think about the log and the obedience and, you know. He said this, it must have been an olive tree, for you can hardly find anything more bitter than olives. But he continues and he says, come and see how far different the ways of God are from the ways of human beings. Human beings use sweet to cure that which is bitter. He, by whose word the world came into being, however, is not so. But with the bitter, he cures the bitter. How so? And then he begins to describe about King Hezekiah, who is dying from a bitter boil, and he put bitter figs on it. He, if you go into first, if you go into the book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, 20 to 22, Elijah is in Jericho, and the people are saying the water's bitter, it's poisonous, it's no good. And he grabs, he says this, he says, bring me a new bowl and put salt into it. So they brought it to him, and he went to the spring of waters, and he threw the salt in, and he said, thus says the Lord, I've healed this water. You and I, if we were in charge of the journey, and God had to consider what we wanted, it would totally be Disneyland. Can I just say it'd be totally Hershey's Park? It would be awesome. But it's not the sweet that develops character. It's the sour. And God, although he's the author of all good things, will sometimes allow difficult things to come in your life because he wants to show you it's not the water that's bitter. It's you. It's me. He wants to expose us to ourselves. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I close with this thought. In the book of Ezekiel 47, the whole book is dedicated to this river that's flowing from the temple. And what's amazing about this picture, this vision that Ezekiel's seeing, is this river does something that no other river does. It's the river of life. It's the river of life. The further it flowed from the temple, the wider and deeper it got. Now that catches my attention because usually the further I allow my money to go out, the further I allow my willingness to serve to go out, the further I do anything that goes out, and the further any stream in this world goes out, the further it goes, the shallower and the narrower it gets, but not with this river. As this river goes out, it gets wider and deeper. And then it goes down the hill and it flows into the Dead Sea. And the Bible says this, that everywhere the water went, there was life. Now you gotta understand the Dead Sea is a place that's 10 times saltier than the ocean. This is what happens when I boil off this, that much nastiness, like, there isn't an amoeba that can live in that thing, nor has there for thousands of years. But this river, Ezekiel sees, flows out flows into the bitter Dead Sea and suddenly you see creation reversed and it says that the waters were teeming with life. In fact, there's a group that set up shop at the edge of the Dead Sea called the, the, the Qumran community and some of you have heard of that, the Dead Sea Scrolls. The reason they put themselves there is they believed this prophecy literally. And right in their community is this little area called Infeshka, right on the edge of the Dead Sea. 
and it's, it's serviced by a tiny chunk of water, and you can click that one more, a little tiny stream. All of the water that pours on Jerusalem soaks into the rocks, and there, right by the edge of the Dead Sea, spits out fresh water. I don't know what's made you bitter. I know what's made me bitter. I know that the names and the faces will change and the circumstances will change, but there's always going to be Mars that will want to take the sweetness of what God's doing in my life and turn it bitter. But God doesn't want you and me to be bitter. He wants us to be better. But the only way that that changes is that we have instant obedience and instant prayer, that, that we learn the things that are embittering us and just saying, you know what, God, this is, listen, this is why we can't forget our deliverances. We're like, God, I, I'll tell you what, if you're in a bitter, depressed moment in your life and you've got a history with Jesus, you just start writing down those deliverances. I'm telling you, before the afternoon's out, you'll be encouraged. And you'll all of a sudden be shaken. Like, wait a second, who, what happened? I used to trust him. I used to follow him. I used to talk to him. I used to believe in him. But you know what the problem happens is, is we took God out of the lead and we put ourselves there. And this is where we ended up. And sometimes we're in the journey of life and God brings us into a bitter area and we, at that moment, have a choice. Am I going to trust what I see or am I going to trust the God who parted the Red Sea, who delivered me from slavery, who set me free? See, God wants to turn our bitter lives into sweet. And here's the thing. In the book of Ruth, she marries into this family that's a Jewish Christian family, we, we would call it, right? There's the there's the mother and father, Naomi and her husband. And then Ruth and another girl marry these two sons. And in one moment, all of the sons are dead and the father's dead and all of these people are left alone. See, they went to this foreign land because they were starving in their home country. It was a bitter experience in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. There was a famine in the house of bread. And they left there and they went to Moab and that's where they met this woman, Ruth. And Ruth, she was different. When the, when, when the men were dead, Naomi looks at her and says, listen, Ruth, I'm not going to have another kid. Don't wait around. Go on. Make something of your life. There's nothing but disappointment, discouragement, and death here. Go on your way. Just forget it. And she says, no. She says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I go. Oh, my goodness. All you need is one friend like that in your life. But here's the beauty of it. The woman who's a pagan acts like a Christian because Naomi her name means pleasant. And as she's walking into Bethlehem and they hear that bread is bit grain and harvest is renewed and they're coming back in the bitterness of their loss and discouragement and they walk in, the people run up to her and they say she had a reputation, obviously. She had a reputation. She was well known. She, she had a legacy, a history and they walk up to her and the two of them went. Listen, Ruth chapter one, verse 19 and 20. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. My friend, God never had anything to do with that. Everything good and beautiful in your life, he's behind that. 
He's not behind the thing that embittered you. He's not behind the thing that derailed you or discouraged you. And if you're not careful, you can be like Naomi and go from better to bitter, or you can make a choice and say, you know what, I'm gonna be like Ruth. Lord, your people are my people. You are my God. Where you go, I go. Where they go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. I'm gonna listen to you. I'm gonna be instant, in and out of season. God, I wanna follow you because I don't wanna be bitter. I wanna be better. And the book ends like this, that Ruth gives birth to a child and that child gives birth to another generation and generation and then finally it reads, and Obad was the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of David. If that young lady gave up at that moment, her legacy was gone, but because she became better instead of bitter, she became the great, great grandmother of the greatest king that Israel ever saw. God is not done with you. He hasn't even begun to use you, to bless you. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care how low in the bottom you've been. I don't care how bitter it is. I don't care what the circumstances surrounding your life are. You see, God doesn't care about that because God is not limited to the circumstances. He's the God that says, I part red seas. I deliver you from bondage. And if I did it there, I'm going to do it here. And he's stirring some of you that are in a bitter place saying, this is why. This is why you're at the place that you are. But he's saying, let me remind you how to get back to that sweet place again. Because you have a legacy to uphold. This life is not the point. This is not the promised land. God has good things for you and God has good things for your children and your children's children should Jesus tarry and it it is all about you getting out of the place of bitterness and moving into betterness only two people in that group ever got to see the promised land Joshua and Caleb I want to break that odd I want to break that statistic you see I know you have grandmas and moms that prophesied all kinds of wonderful things over your life, but that doesn't mean anything if you do not persevere to embrace that truth. You need to choose to be chosen. Your life is an occasion. Rise to it. And let's rise in this room. And here's how we're going to end. We're going to sing this song one more time. And if God is speaking to you and you need God to toss a log into your life. Let him put the cross in your spirit again. Let him wash away that bitterness. Let him make you a sweet source for the people of God. Let him be your God like Ruth did. Let him be your Lord. Trust him. Remember your deliverances. You can do it in your seat or you can come up here and kneel wherever it is that you want to do it. But that's why we're going to sing this song one more time. So let God be the king of your heart. Let him be Lord over your bitterness and bring you into betterness. God's will is that you move from bitter to better. Amen. God bless you as we sing. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails. The air.